Good day to you all and welcome to Generation Tech. I'm Todd Brinker. I'm here with my dad, Jack. We talk about tech from the perspective of two different generations. How you doing today, Dad? Doing great, Todd. Good to hear your voice. Happy morning to you as we record on this. I'm, I'm still not used to that kick uh, lead-in music because I used to not hear it. And, right. Uh, I was noticing it's organ music, not mm-hmm. the kind of organ that I played, but... Uh, Sort of jazz organ, you know. Yeah, it's um, <laughs> it's uh, uh, basically my MIDI keyboard is what it was. Was that what it was? Yeah, yeah. I play that into Final Cut, and then I pick. Uh, I don't remember which organ I picked. There's, there's. Probably... Was that was that was a pre-recorded thing on the keyboard? No, I played it. You I played that? Made it up. Wow. Made it Composed up. Composed and. And written. Yeah, that is done yeah. by me. Yeah, that's. I'm uh, sorry, composed and performed, I, I meant to yeah, say. Yeah, composed and performed. Yeah, I didn't write anything down. Um, although I could go back and do it. I can, I, I, uh, because I did it in Final Cut, um, I can actually print out sheet music for it if I wanted to. Um, but yeah, it's got, uh, there's a little bit of a, a drum thing that I played also just using the keyboard and the, uh, and the, um, uh, drum sounds that are uh, included with Final Cut, and then uh, you'll hear the cowbell clanking around, which was a little bit of a joke. There was in the in the um, uh, 80s, I guess it was, Saturday Night Live did a very famous skit about a, a song by Blue Oyster Cult, which is a rock band, and uh, and they were in the studio recording, and, and the producer kept going, I don't know, it's almost there, it's almost there, more cowbell, more cowbell. And they kept putting more cowbell on this guy standing there <laughs> clanking this cowbell through the whole thing. And so I uh, I just thought that was funny. Anyway, it's it's good to hear that maybe some of the musical uh, 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 abilities that I have rubbed off on you. And Yeah. But, I, well, I've always noticed you had uh, in, at least a strong musical interest. Right. You know, especially uh, just recordings. But uh-huh. I think most kids growing up have, you know, you kind yeah, of Yeah, you go through phases, yeah. Tune yeah. with the hits of the day or whatever, mm-hmm. and and I shared uh, your like for some of those uh, artists that I probably wouldn't have listened to, but because you you like them, uh, I listened to them, mm-hmm. and especially Simon and Garfunkel, I mm-hmm. I was kind of a fan, but I became more of a fan, and and for that ilk of music, not just Simon and Garfunkel, but right. Uh, yeah, and I, I, when I first started listening to music, I had a tendency throughout my growing up to listen to music that was about a decade old. <laughs> yeah, you know. Well, uh, so I listened to a lot of the older stuff, but then uh, after Simon and Garfunkel had broken up, like right in the early seventies, um, I, uh, I also um, listened to some of that, you know, their their solo music as well. Um, uh, because that was right when I was sort of of the age where, you know, you sort of junior high where you start really just playing music. And, and you know, it, back then you bought records or uh, uh, some people bought tapes. But in our house, you wouldn't let us buy tapes. We bought records and, and recorded them onto a tape. And then if the tape busted, we'd go make another copy off the record. And that way. We yeah. Would, so you, know, you still have some some almost jam uh, like records if you kept them i assume you did and i do they're all sitting right behind me here in my shack out back studio but but played once into into mm-hmm. a recorded mm-hmm. uh, session yeah. yeah yeah in fact it was so low tech that the recording was done by setting the recorder which was a monaural cassette recorder in front of a speaker and then telling everybody be quiet and stay out of the bedroom <laughs> didn't have the direct 
wire capability then. Nope. There wasn't even a jack to go into it for the microphone on that, uh, that first cassette player that you had given me. Yeah. Um, it was pretty pretty low tech. Um, yeah. Well, things have changed, haven't they? You know, yep. it's, 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 it's funny you say that. Uh, I feel the same way about me and my dad because I, my first love of music was listening to his radio uh, mm-hmm. when I came down uh, to real early before school because we had to go out and make cows. Mm-hmm. And he's always sitting there with his coffee, which he drank out of the saucer because he didn't like hot coffee, but mom would make it real hot for her. And then he'd have to pour it in the saucer and sip it out of the saucer. Let it cool <laughs> off. To cool it down, yeah. And and on the radio, by the way, was a guy that uh, named uh, Hank Snow that uh, I was reminding your mom that uh, we had visited Nashville and taken a city tour of the homes mm-hmm. where all the uh, old recording stars were. And one of them was Hank Snow's house. And the only reason I remembered and it stood out is it seemed so modest and so small. Yeah. Now, now this was a long time ago. I mean, he recorded in the 40s, so right. I was young when he was a, you know, mm-hmm. big recording yeah, artist. in his prime, yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, he recorded in the 50s and, and just died in 1999, so he lived a long time. Mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, uh, I was listening to a lot of Hank Snow this morning, and uh, <clears throat> I decided to – I didn't really – know that much about him. So I did the search on Wikipedia, which I usually go to for mm-hmm. these kind of things and found it really interesting that his, uh, he lost his dad very early, mm-hmm. but his dad was musical. I, I think and he was eight years old when his dad died, mm. but it was, and, and his mother was musical also. And so, uh, you know, it kind of, that's mm-hmm. what got him started. And his mother, in order to keep him happy, he sort of became the dad of the house. No, I take that back. He, I'm mixing up stories here because I'd read about some other people. But anyway, he was uh, one of the younger of the family. Mm-hmm. Well, I think anyway, the idea of having a parent that plays music in the house kind of opens your eyes or your mind to the idea that hey, I don't have, to, I don't just listen to music. I can make it. You know, right, I can create right. music. And while you were a very um, prolific uh, musician when you were younger. When you were when when I was growing up, uh, you know, you were always in in the choir and you and you played, uh, you know, organ in the choir and did things like that. But because you were working so much, you didn't play at home very often. Once in yeah. a while, you'd play the keyboard or with piano. It wasn't even keyboard. So it was an actual upright piano. Um, yeah. And once in a while, you'd get out the guitar, like at holidays or special occasions or parties or things like that. But you did. It wasn't something like you did every night because you didn't practice regularly because you were, you know, an adult sure. with four kids and a family and a job. And and uh, at some at, at one point, you really were doing two jobs because you were, you know, had a had a side gig back before people knew what side gigs were. Oh, yeah. So, you know, but, but I knew it was there. I knew that you did it. Yeah. I knew that, you know, and it was around. But anyway, I, I did one last thing about Hank Snow. His mom bought him a guitar uh, very mm-hmm. early in life, and uh, that set him off, yeah. you know, on, a, on his career. It's funny when you, uh, almost every professional musician, when I hear their story, it's my parents got me a guitar. My parents got me the piano. My parents, you know, bought me that drum kit, even though they knew it was going to make a lot of noise. They bought it for me. They set it up. Um, and I think there's something to that. And it's something to its 
it was mine. It was given to me as opposed right. to like, oh, you know, there's a few that'll say, oh, there was music in the house, right? You know, there were guitars and stuff laying around. And you can just go pick one up. But yeah. th- that's less common. More often, it's like, oh, my parents went and got me this because they saw that I had an interest in it. And, you know, and I kept dinking around with it. You know, yep. and that's, you know, I mean, that little lead in piece there that I did. I mean, that's me dinking around. That's the, I, 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 if anybody ever asked you, do you play instruments? <laughs> no, I, I would say I play at music. I don't play music. <laughs> I play yeah. at music, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, as I sit here, you know, six inches from my right elbow is my, uh, keyboard that is attached to my computer so that I can, you know, use it as a MIDI controller if I want. Um, and behind me, I've got, uh, a couple guitars and an electric bass and some electric drums, uh, like a little drum pad type thing. Um, and I play around with them, but I don't do it every day. You know, it's like yep. when, I, when, when the mood strikes. So. Yep. Yeah, I know what you mean. It, I, I I sort of dabble in these things, mm-hmm. but uh, it's it's uh, I got too many other interests, you know. Yeah, I've I've always had way more interest than I had time to deal with do it, most of them any justice, you know. Right. Mo- mostly, uh, I kind of do whatever I can do with others, you know, participative mm-hmm. kind of things. Right. So. So yeah, because I'm because I'm not a loner who kind of goes off and does things by himself. It's funny you know? because I'm very social, but a lot of my like hobby type things are loner type things, and I bounce between them just. I've I've had I always called it a blessing and a curse because I was sort of like (laughs) you know a jack of all trades. I've been very you know successful at doing lots of different things, or very successful at taking hobbies and turning them into careers. Um, uh, But I kind of bounce around. You know, it's like there's nothing that holds my attention for a long period (laughs) of time. I'm not that person who's like for my whole life I was just focused on making this. You know, I you know I'm not going to be that virtuoso at anything as a result. So that's the downside. You know, I, I, I yeah. can, I can sort of kind of do lots of different things and I enjoy lots of different things, but I'm never going to be the, the, uh, the, the, the person that people goes like, my gosh, he's talented at that, you know, cause I just don't mm-hmm. put the time in. I don't put the time in. Um, yeah, but it's funny when I start talking to people about like, you know, my career or things that I do or done and, and they're like, Holy crap! What do you do? you know? What is it you do? Because it's like, oh yeah, well you know, I I worked in the computer industry, and then I was a teacher, and then I was a swim coach, and you know, then I ran you know I ran my own business as a swim coach, and and you know, and it's like I did, did photography, and I you know play music, and I do podcasts, and I, you know, it's just like uh, yeah, I kind of like you know, it's like what do you do? I don't know. It's like well, whatever sounds interesting. That's what I do. <laughs> right. Know? That's the right yeah. answer. It's whatever sounds interesting. <laughs> Some you 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 you're like your dad in that sense because mm-hmm. even as a kid i remembered my goodness how does anybody pick out a career you know how do you do that yeah how do you pick because just one <laughs> i had so many interests i mean always did i mean even as a little kid mm-hmm. i i love just go out in nature and i could spend all day entertaining myself just by examining tree leaves and finding mm-hmm. wildlife and you name it uh, yeah. just everything interested me yeah, no, I, I agree. I'm the I'm kind of the same way, and uh, you know, it's like <laughs> my, my opinion on career is how, why on earth would you pick just one? You know, yeah, do something yeah. for a few years, you like it, then find and find a way to monetize doing something else. You know, or you know, of course, the flip side is there are people who are different than that. People who find something that they do and they just like that's what I want to do. They found it. That's the thing. You oh know? yeah, and yeah. and more power to them, you know. But it takes all kinds in this world, and but, but that I'm, ain't me. I, 
I'll, I'll tell you, having all these interests has made life so enjoyable. Yeah. I mean, you know, you can just go and have fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, my work was always like that. I loved my work, no matter mm-hmm. what it was. Yeah, uh, for the most part. I got, there's one job in my life that I had that was not uh, basically sort of hobby-related that just brought joy in doing. Uh. And, and that was <laughs> uh, three weeks I worked at a fast food place with a drive-thru. Uh, and yeah. and even that I I found oh, excuse me I got a little bit of coffee ground in my mouth uh, I found joy in but the the young man who was managing that place was so bad at managing that place and treated people so badly that at the end of three weeks when I, I almost immediately started looking for another job and as soon as I found the other job um, I just didn't show up for my shift one day and they called me at home and said <laughs> uh, you gonna come in and I went no I quit and they said. Yeah. Well, we've got uh, your paycheck to pick up, and I know the paycheck was like it was like less than sixty dollars. It was it was very little because they didn't pay very much for that kind of work then. Uh, still don't for the most part, I think. But um, uh, and I went, yeah, um, I'm not worried about that. And they said, well, we need our our company shirt back. You know, oh. I I had to wear like blue pants, but they had a, a shirt logo that they gave me that had the logo on it that I had to wear. They needed their uniform back. And I went, all right, I'll come get the check and give you your shirt. And when I did, <laughs> I didn't come into the store. I went through the drive-thru and I handed them the shirt and asked for my check. <laughs> and, 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 and never went back. <laughs> <laughs> well, so. I got your beat on shortness, though. I, I don't know if I ever told you about this, but when I was a freshman in college. I know this uh, story. <laughs> ju- ju- I, I think it was just the right near the end of the semester yeah. before I quit because I was lonely and I didn't really have many friends mm-hmm. after one semester at my first college. And, and anyway, one of the guys that lived with me had worked uh, one night at a, at a uh, butchering, butchering house, yeah, like slaughterhouse, meat, meat I guess you, you plants or something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, they, they cow bring cows in and butchered them or pigs mm-hmm. or something like that. But yeah, it was pigs. Pigs was. is what you had told me in the past. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, one night of being in this stinky place where every and, and you cleaned it out with a steam hose. Yeah, yeah, so that was, was your job water. was cleaning it out <laughs> after after everybody else had gone <laughs> yeah. home at the end of the work day. Then you came in. Oh yeah, yeah. I can't imagine that would have been. And it, and it was an all night job. I mean, this was a big place, several rooms that all had to be steamed down and no, you know, get rid of all the muck and yuck and blood and mm-hmm. hair and guts and whatever left behind. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my goodness, that was a horror! But yeah. I finished the job and did a good job, and, and then but, said, "No, thank you. I'm not coming back." You know, the check sounded so good, but I hadn't envisioned so much work and and yuck to deal with. Yeah, I mean, and, and I'd seen a lot of bad things growing up on a farm. You, you know, I was yeah. around a lot of these things, but not for all night and having to deal with the water flashing back in my face and getting it all over me, and yeah, you know, just. It was a horror. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That that tops my three weeks for sure, at least for time. Um, yeah. You know, and obviously for disgustingness. But well, you uh, found a camera uh, thing, and I know that's a big interest in your yeah, life. Yeah. One of, one of my hobby career things is, a, is photography. And something uh, I have said for a while is that, you know, the cameras on the back of the iPhone and, and like phones, you know, on all phones these days really are really phenomenal, but they're still so limited. And it would be nice if there was a way 
to either take the phone and slide it into the back of a professional, like a interchangeable lens camera, or attach those cameras to some sort of carrier for the phone that works better than than those uh, little bitty lenses that clip over the top of the uh, cameras that are built in. And there's been a couple solutions to that over the years. Um, like I said, there's some some companies that make lenses that clip right over the top of the uh, the lens on the back of your camera to give it wider angles or longer telephotos. Yeah. And there's also a uh, Sony made a, a QX10, which was basically a um, a camera with a one inch sensor in it that looked like a uh, looked just like a lens. There was no body to it, and that lens then attached uh, via um, uh, a special case to the back of your phone, and it then created a local area Wi-Fi network and would, as soon as you took the picture, it would then, because uh, you'd run the special Sony software on your phone, it would then bring the photo, you know, via that Wi-Fi into your phone. Um, and there's a uh, an article that was out on, it was on Yanko Design, which is not a normal place that I go, but yankodesign.com. Uh, Never heard of were, them before this. Yeah, but they were showing a, a MagSafe camera that would attach to the back of an iPhone via the MagSafe. Um, and they even had a special case that fit around it that gave you a little bit of a grip and a shutter button um, so that it acted more like a real camera. Um, you know, and... <laughs> And your camera that was built into the phone was still exposed so that it could participate in some way if you, if right. you wanted the well, software. Was... Well, what it did, the idea was, is that it would um, still use the, the the sensors and lenses in the Apple, uh, at least in the iPhone. They're, they're showing it attached to an iPhone 13 with MagSafe. That those sensors in the iPhone would allow it to um, still get like distance and, and 3d data. And so, um, it could then take advantage of the AI functions within the phone better. And they show it in one case anyway, in a, in a physical case with a grip and that physical case then created a physical connection into the phone so that you weren't using a a wireless connection to get it back in, which would be, you know, slower and less, uh, reliable than a physical connection back into the phone. So your photos would then come online real quick and easy because there would be, um, um, you know, met, uh, connectors to the lens and the case. So, you know, I, I've just, I, and, and I imagine that this is probably a limited cell thing unless you really invested in the quality of the lenses and what you were doing. I've always thought that if they're going to do something like this, they need to partner with a Nikon or a Canon or a Sony in order to say, hey, we're going to use your lenses of certain model, you know, that already exists. So you need to get like a series of lenses. Well, more important that you can maybe uh, extend your already substantial investment in lenses uh, to another way of doing it. Right. Yeah. So, so if you've, if you're a user of those lenses, you've already got lenses that are out there, but if you're new to it, you know, rather than having a single custom lens that somebody built that attaches to the phone or maybe two or, you know, is three and slowly building it up, uh, go to a camera system that already has a ton of lenses that are out there. You know, um, the mm-hmm. micro four thirds lenses would even be fine from Panasonic and, uh, and, uh, OM systems, which formerly was Olympus. Um, you know, because there's a whole bunch of lenses already available 
and there's you know there's a variety of of lens systems that are out there you know so just pick one but it just would be nice if somebody built a a back end system that integrates with the phone you know because the system the solution <coughs> excuse me the solutions that they have right now are um uh create a Wi-Fi connection between your professional camera and your phone. And when you take pictures, then they'll get transferred over into the phone. And then you go into the phone and you copy them from that. You know, you tag the ones that you want or you select the ones that are there. And then it manually then moves them over is sort of the way it is. It's just not very integrated. It's clunky. Um, yeah. And the advantages of having them on your phone are multitudinous. You know, you get the uh, you get GPS uh, markers from where the photo was taken, which makes, you know, photos, uh, uh, gives you another means of searching for your photos. You can say, I want the photos from this location. Um, they, uh, they're automatically into your photo library so that you can quickly share them. They're immediately backed up. So if something happens to your camera, as soon as they're moved over to the phone, they're then shared up into the cloud, you know, assuming you have cellular connection, uh, or Wi-Fi connection, so that they're backed up. There's lots of reasons why you want to get them into the phone, not to mention the fact that um, that virtually all relatively decent phones these days have a lot of AI that goes in and makes the photo even better. And if you give them a better photo to begin with, one that came out of a, you know, a camera that captures more light and better pictures and less noise, then it's going to look that much better on the back end. Because it's pretty amazing how bad a photo can be and still look pretty good uh, when it comes out of your phone, you know, but if yeah. you look at the raw images, they're really bad images, but then the, the phone itself fixes them up. Or in the case of uh, Google and Android phones, it's not the phone itself. It's the, the photo is shared up to the photo library and then Google fixes it in the cloud and sends it back down to the phone. But either way, the technology to, to make what was a pretty poor, quality image looks so much better in those in these devices is not used very well in high-end phones you know they don't have or high-end high-end cameras they don't have equivalent uh technology or if they do they're not they're not implementing it the way that the the phone manufacturers are you know the the real question happens when as technology changes uh, like it has uh, with uh, between photography and cameras and uh, and phones uh, or computational units or whatever you want to call them uh, is that uh, the, the 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 people that are in the pure camera business at some point got to have some worries about the fact that some of their businesses is dropping off mm-hmm. right and they they've got to start to figure out how they're going to address that well having somebody address this business of of at least capturing a lot more light and 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 taking advantage of the lens system in ways that you just uh, uh, really want to uh, and 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 have that real photograph feature uh, is uh, clearly uh, done better, I think, in this picture or this idea or. Mm-hmm. This isn't this isn't a product. Today. No, it's this it's a concept, a but it's concept. a very well. I mean, very detailed. Lots of lots of details and, and thought has gone into this concept and, as you and, look. Anyway, it. this is this has got to stimulate the people in that business to say, hey, maybe I better go look at doing something like this and and being competitive. You know, mm-hmm. because if this really becomes workable, it could certainly take another chunk of their business away, right? If it's successful. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, you know, you'd, you'd hope that this might just be a spur to get the, the people with the best knowledge and capability of camera systems involved in a, in a deeper way and getting something integrated uh, by working with a, a phone manufacturers or something. Yeah. Well, you know, it's and, you know, Apple historically has not done a lot of like, well, I shouldn't say they haven't. I mean, like with with uh, CarPlay and stuff, obviously they are partnering with other companies to make things work, but they haven't done anything like that with their phone directly. Um, but it just, I think, you know, the, the advantage of taking their skills in computational photography and applying that to uh, a camera company's skills and background at making a uh, interchangeable lens camera that has a much larger sensor and, and, and gets a better image to begin with, I think has a lot of potential. And I just, I have been waiting for a lot of years or wishing for a lot of years that somebody would do that. And I looked at the Sony QX10 thing and that just wasn't the solution I was looking for. And to be honest, as much as I like the idea that this, this guy has presented here, it's still not really what I want because it's, they're showing a lens that you can then modify. And I really want an inter interchangeable lens system. I want it to work with a set of lenses that already exist. Again, whether they're Nikon or Canon or Sony or or Micro Four Thirds, you know, uh, it doesn't. I don't care which one they pick. Um, I mean, I'd prefer they pick one that I already have, you know, and have yeah. some lenses. That would well, be ideal. But but it'd well, just be nice to have a a uh, a handheld camera that instead of sticking a memory card in, I I somehow physically attach my phone to the back of it and that becomes the back screen on the camera and now that is my my memory card and they integrate and work together seamlessly that would just be wonderful yeah yeah well taking a critical view of this thing the first big kludgy thing is i think is that cable that comes out of there which i assume is a shutter release uh, no, that is actually meant to be a camera mount, and it. And if you look at the very first photo on the article, they show it laying next to it. It just screws in. It. it, it you don't have to have that on there. So that's just a gooseneck to to mount the camera. Oh, so if you were to like oh, so tripod it, stand. it, yeah, tripod it or set it somewhere so that you can then point it at something, or like a selfie stick. But I can't imagine. You okay, know, well, it wasn't. It wasn't clear to me what that really was. Yeah, yeah, it looks weird. But again, this guy has tried to think of like everything you would possibly need, you know, yeah. on on the the camera, including including lens hoods and and uh, magnetic filters that snap on instead of screw in. And see, that's interesting. <clears throat> but I think, you know, we already have a functioning way of sticking uh, filters onto the end of lenses that, that, you know, screw in very simply and easily. And it seems to me like, um, you know, I don't know that a magnetic solution is a better solution because even, I mean, you can make it tight enough that you think it doesn't fall off, but if it's physically screwed into the thing it, it's not falling off you know so it's right. like well we've already got a solution that works that that has been used by camera ma manufacturers since you know the 1930s um i'm not sure we need a new one well i'm guessing that these photographs are just some real mock-ups of of what their concept was yeah uh and that they've tried to make them workable enough that they can actually uh put it together and, and take pictures with it and see what kind of results they could get. You so, know, although this article isn't focused on the results. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that the physical device actually even exists. I think these are all, um, 
uh, drawing drawings, you know, and they're very photorealistic drawings in some cases. But um, yeah. I don't I don't think these these things really exist. It's just a concept, an idea, and he's you know tried to create enough different images to express all the details that he's thought through. And you know, I disagree with some of his choices for solutions, but um, but I applaud the concept. Um, mm-hmm. and the idea of doing something like this. And I, I really wish that, uh, um, you know, I mean, I'm an Apple phone user, so I wish it was Apple phones. But, uh, you know, there's been a few other things out there like that. Uh, Motorola had a phone that had interchangeable backs, and you could put a back on it that had a big speaker, so if you wanted better sound, and they went on magnetically. Or you could pop that back off and put another one on that had was, a, you know, more battery, which makes a lot of sense. And they had a third one that was, put it on and it gave you a bigger lens and a bigger sensor and it was uh, a lensing system that they had licensed uh, from Hasselblad and uh, you know and that I always thought was very intriguing as a phone um, but again it was one lens that went on the back you know it yeah. wasn't it wasn't a a interchangeable lens system or anything like that that allowed you to then take advantage of and you know if you're not a, a photography hobbyist then you go, why would I want that, you know? And there's a lot of people who are professional. Why would, why would I want to change lenses and stuff? I can already zoom in and out with my phone and use that. And to be honest, you know, I worked in the newspaper industry um, for for uh, a decade and change. And, you know, there were photographers that you, you when you went to an event, very often a writer would go and a photographer would go. And the photographer would go out there with their, you know, their bag of lenses and two or three cameras and they would get photos of the event for you. Um, The way that a lot of sports writing is done today is the sports writer goes to the event with a phone and he snaps his own pictures. You know, I'm, they still have photographers for things that require that, you know, like if you're going to do, um, you know, photos of the event on a football field or something like that. You know, you need somebody who's got a longer lens that can get those images and do that. You can't do that very well with a with a camera phone. But a lot of the, you know, like, hey, I'm going to do a quick interview of somebody after their after their event. I'm going to interview the winner. Uh, yeah. The the writer's there, and he just snaps a picture of the person standing there, and then then starts talking to them. And uh, uh, you know, that's changed the way that business works because. You get good enough pictures so they can go into a newspaper and on the newspaper's website and, you know, and then the next day that photo's gone and whatever the next thing is is that they put up because the news in, in you know, is a daily news cycle there. Right. So. so. Well, anyway, it's it's always fun to imagine what, what the future could bring, you know. Mm-hmm. That, that's the fascination about these things. Yeah, yeah. What it could bring or what you'd like it to bring, right? Yeah. Uh, along with this, we might skip to uh, one that uh, that I posted just near the bottom of uh, of the op- things to talk about today, and that uh-huh. has to do with a development of a uh, uh, of a uh, glasses lens uh, contact lens type display. Now it's a display, but because it's dealing with optics. Uh, I thought we might just flip oh. to that one. And I talk thought you about were going to say jump to the one that talks about the supposed hidden buttons. I don't think they're really hidden buttons, but uh, uh, no, uh, for because they mentioned take, using it to take pictures differently. But we'll go to that one too. Um, so let's talk about the the uh, uh, 
contact, augmented reality contact lens, right? They call it the Mojo lens from Mojo Vision in Saratoga, yeah. California. Yeah. I, so. I thought that that's some breaking technology that I wasn't aware of that sounded really uh, techish and phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, now, you think about this. Here's Essentially what it is is they're able to put a high-resolution display on a transparent lens that communicates wirelessly with external devices and is fully powered without any kind of physical tether. And uh, it has an impressive display technology with 14,000 pixels per inch micro LED display with a pixel pitch of 1.8 microns. So they're putting a display into a contact lens. Now, all kinds of questions come into my head. Like, how is that powered then, right? And and how long does it last if it's powered? And well, it does, say, it does say that. It lasts a day. Yeah. Okay. It says it comes with medical-grade micro batteries that allow for all-day wear. Right. It has an ARM processor with a 5 gigahertz radio transmitter, a gyroscope, accelerometer, magnometer. How does it not blank out one of your eyes with all this stuff in there? I, I don't understand it. It just seems so phenomenal. Yeah, the future of it. And this is this is an actual product that somebody has demonstrated. This is not, huh? Uh, I can't find the article. Where what was the title of it? Um, it's titled "New AR Contact Lenses Here with Thirty Times Pixel Density of a New iPhone," and it was published at. Uh, Tech Times on July 11th filed at 3:07 in the morning. Clearly, uh, somebody had oh, a dream yeah, the... and thought that they imagined that they dreamt this. Now, this is just yeah. very interesting. I've not heard of this company before. Um, Sarasota, California. Yeah, Mojo Vision. But you know, it's 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 just uh, sounds legit, but the that the but the stuff is so much of a breakthrough that it's hard to believe, right? <laughs> yeah. I, how, do you, how do you even do that? I um, went to the if you if you just go to Mojo Vision, there is a MojoVision.com or Mojo.Vision is their website, and you know. Eyes Up Tomorrow is here, introducing the world's only contact lens that elevates your vision. Well, mm. first, the, the first biggie is when they say the pixel density of this device is 30 times what the, the phone has. Yeah. So that's that's an amazing feat right there. Well, that and, and an all-day battery that, that can reside in a lens. Yeah. That doesn't, you know, I mean... We barely get an all-day battery on our watch, and I can't imagine sticking something the size of my watch in my eyeball, you know? Micro-grade uh, micro-batteries, or medical-grade micro-batteries. Yeah. Now, that must be like, you know, like air, you know, I don't know what that is. I, I can't imagine. They're not air batteries like in a hearing aid. They're smaller than that. Yeah, and and thin, I mean, you know, and I yeah. mean, and you know, they could be in a in a contact lens, I guess, off to the side as long as they're not, you know, blocking your vision. But it's just so many I, questions. The, the they're apparently they one have... of eight companies chosen to be in Disney's accelerator program for 2021. So they're Disney has has backed them. Uh, Mojo Lens. I'm I'm looking at their website, which is Mojo oh. Vision. And okay. 
they keep talking about a vision of the future. I haven't seen anything that says uh, that. Yeah, you, but you know, anyway, I haven't seen anything say like you know and and order them now that kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It, anyway, it says it's the first commercially viable lens to be worn. It doesn't say available. It's viable right. to be worn on the eyes. Okay. On their website, it says Mojo Lens availability is subject to regulatory approval and clearance. Not available for commercial sale. Yeah. Not yet, anyway. Yeah. But if they're subject to to approval, that means they must have something that, that can be approved, that can be looked at, right? Yeah. Somebody's got to be testing it or something. Yeah. Well, they're also posting that they want they're hiring. It's, any, anyway, this is the kind of breakthrough that I just love to see. Uh, like I said, it's just almost breathtaking when you start to read what their, the claims are for it. Now, of course, uh, until it's real <laughs> and people are buying it, you know prices and all that. You, you know, don't know whether mm-hmm. anybody will ever buy it. I mean, you know, if it costs a million dollars to make one. Why, right. On their website, you know. they have three white papers. One is... Uh, COVID's short-term and long-term uh, impact on technology adoption, tomorrow's workplace technology, what happens when things get personal, and device distraction, understanding the problem and rethinking the solution. And so this is those are white papers that they've published. Um, so, yeah, and then there's a variety of press releases that they have here. Uh, Mojo Vision reaches significant development milestone for smart lenses. Mojo Vision partners with fitness brands to elevate sports and fitness experience performance via smart lens. Mojo Vision Minicon announced joint development agreement for smart contacts products. And Mojo Vision is named winner of the NASA iTech 2020 Cycle 1. Mm-hmm. So these are press releases. Mojo Vision uh, will conduct various feasibility studies on production, manufacturing, explore the potential of long-term working relationships. So they've, they're they're uh, talking to somebody about the production of this and how, how that would go. I don't know who Minicon is. Look up Minicon. <laughs> I looked sure. up Minicon, and, uh, you know, when you, you right-click on a, on a word in it, and then you can say, look it up. And when it looked it up, it looked up Minion. <laughs> yeah, well, anyway, it says that Mojo lenses have been developed for more than six years, according to Vaughn Today. I guess that's some publication. The challenge was miniaturizing all the electronics on board, you know, on the lens somehow. And this is done by creating new components with an adapted user interface. So, absolutely new technology all around, it sounds right. like. Yeah. So, so uh, all it needs. Minicon is a company that makes um, uh, contact lenses and cleaning products and things for their contact lenses. So that's why mm-hmm. they partnered with them. So I went and found that company. Yeah. It, it, this is absolutely stunning. This is something I want to keep an eye on. Yep. You know, because we're we're waiting for 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 companies, you know, for the electronics companies to come up with something for smart glasses. And these guys have jumped ahead of smart glasses and said, no, let's just go to smart contacts. Yeah. You know? Now, there are well, some people who can't wear contacts because they're uncomfortable and, and cause problems with their eyes and things like that. That's true. But they did mention in a line in the main article here that they are uh, 
considering making them for people who don't really need glasses, but but just want to wear the contacts for the capabilities. Oh, sure. You know. Uh, yeah, I, I would assume that's a given. There's probably going to be more people yeah. who are in that in that uh, um, category category yeah. than there are in the I need glasses. Because um, that's just a matter of shaping the lens. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But 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 what they're saying is they can basically put uh, all kinds of processing and communications capability in your eye. <laughs> yeah, that's not where you'd expect to put it, right? Freaky deaky. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You know, it's a. Uh, it, it's just so. Uh, uh, interesting that just about anywhere on the human body now there we're going to have stuff embedded in us that will just do some great things yeah. you know to assist us so that we'll become many robots in a sense i mean yeah well the well, androids right an android is a is a augmented human essentially yeah um, and you know what's interesting though or or concerning at the same time is the laws have not caught up with this you know because right now in the united states there's some weird laws like if if you get stopped uh, by the police for whatever reason, even if you're you know completely innocent, but that you maybe happen to look like some guy they're looking for, they can force you to put your fingerprint on your phone and unlock it. They can force you to to look at your phone and unlock it, but they cannot force you to give a password. So if you don't use Face ID or Touch ID, but just have a password, or if your phone is locked. And, you know, like uh, if it's been rebooted and you have to put your password in first to get to it, mm-hmm. um, then they cannot force you to give up something you know. But they can force you to give up something you are, which asks a lot of – begs a lot of questions when we start, you know, embedding uh, technology into us. You know, mm-hmm. is the government going to be able to say you are required to to let us download data from your device that's in your eyes so we can see everything you've seen? You know, yeah, um, and and you know, I mean, I'm not <laughs> saying one way is right or wrong, but I'm I'm saying that those questions haven't been answered, and it's kind of scary, you know. Well, that's 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 a law is always lagging, and it's going to be lagging further and further as time moves on. Sure, because these are first of all technical issues, not something that the legal beagles that go go into government know anything about so uh well it's technical advances but the legal the legal people are the ones who who the laws have to catch up at some point and we have to we as a society have to figure out where we're going to draw that line like right now personally i think that you know if if you know if i have a device that has that is mine that has you know my health information and banking information on it um that I don't think the police should be able to stop me and force me to put my fingerprint or my face on it. That if they want to get into that, they should have to go just like if they were going to come into my house, they should have to go to a judge and yeah. and 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 prove just cause as to why they want to get into that stuff. You know, right. to me that's unreasonable and illegal search and seizure, but that's not the laws in our country right now. Right now, you can be stopped on the street and they could force you to unlock your phone. Yep. You that's, know? That's there's that's wrong. Yeah. Clearly you know, but you know the flip side of that is the the police will say, you know, hey, we're ch- we're chasing down a bad guy. Um, we need that information quickly so that we can go catch him before he gets out of the area. You know, and if we stopped you in your car, we have the right to search through your car without going to a judge. So why couldn't we search through, you know, 
and your pockets, why can we search through your phone? But I would argue that searching through your phone is much more intimate than searching through your car or your pockets. Yes. Yep. You know? So, I don't know. Well, that's why what Apple's doing, claiming, you know, to protect your privacy, mm-hmm. they've got to get stay ahead of this so that uh, that's not allowable. Yeah. You know, there's, there's got to be some way that you can control. If the law says it requires a password, then by golly, for most of what's in your phone, then the password is the way, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. And the thing is, is it's just not convenient. But I will tell you this. Um, if you're going through if, – if you ha- – if you have reason to believe, like if you're a, a um, uh, uh, you know, a reporter that reports on some countries that, that uh, don't necessarily respect human rights very well or things like that, or you have a reason to believe that you might be targeted, um, there's a couple of things you can do. But if you want to lock your phone immediately so that it requires a password, you can squeeze the, the, the power button and one of the side buttons and hold it there for like, three seconds and it'll then automatically lock your phone. Or if you tap the power button real quickly, five times, it well, that's will the li- recent lockdown thing. That's no, that's, that's, that's been in iOS for years. No, the lockdown thing is something separate. We can talk about that later, but, uh. but if you want to just lock your phone right now, like if, if it's, if it's, you know, you pick it up and, and your face ID unlocks it, right? If you tap, yeah. you tap your power button five times real quickly, one, two, three, four, five, and it immediately says, slide to power off, medical ID, emergency SOS. If you hit cancel, to get back in, you have to put in your passcode at that point. Yeah. So it doesn't shut off. You don't even have to shut it off. It just now says you have to put in your passcode. And so, uh, you know, that quickly you can force your phone to require a passcode so that now they can't force you to give up your phone. Well, they can take your phone well, away from you, but they can't get into it. Yeah, the biggest problem, though, is I don't, you say passcode for my phone. I don't know what mine is. Oh really? So that's that's dangerous too because if something were to, um, you know, every once in a while, like mine will like update itself automatically overnight and it's rebooted and I have to put my passcode in in the morning. You, if that happens to you, you don't know how to get into your phone. Uh, I have not a lot of things I could try, <laughs> but it's not something I do regularly, and that's a problem. If I don't do something regularly, uh-huh. I don't remember it. That's funny because I do mine semi regularly. But that has to do with, I think, losing my uh, ability to remember a lot of things at old age, you know? Sure. Passcodes become a very bad thing yeah. the older you get. Well, it's it's not really a passcode. It's a PIN. But, you know, it's a six-digit PIN usually um, yeah. on the iPhone. But my phone, I, I would say probably once every two weeks at least, I, when I wake up and grab my phone off the charger in the morning, it says, to get into your phone, put in your PIN code. Yeah, I, I guess I do remember what mine is. Yeah. Okay. It I happens do. enough that I, I know what it is. Um, you know. Now, unfortunately, in order to remember it, a lot of people use, like, you know, their birth date and things like that that are super, super easy to guess. So <laughs> if you know anything about somebody, you can probably break into their phone. You know, it's the birth date, the birth date of their kids, their wife, you know, that's yeah, the their real, spouse. The, the real problem with this is my passcodes were used. You know, they, uh, uh, a lot of the presentation used to be like a keypad on a, on a uh, phone. Yeah. You know, it's got the three, dig- three by three matrix with a uh-huh. zero at the bottom, you know? Yeah. And if it's not in that form, I don't, you know, I know by the pattern right. what my passcode is, not by what the actual 
buttons or numbers you, or you names. You remember your pattern. Are. That's funny that that's how you remember it. That, but, that's uh, right. That's how it's and, presented on the iPhone. But you can change that. If you want your, uh, your, your passcode to be more complex, you can go in and, and change the default. And then it can be anything because now you're alphanumeric. And mm-hmm. you can make it any length you want and any series of, of keys and strokes and numbers and such. Um, you know, so you can make it yeah. as, as, as easy or as difficult as you want. Of course, the more difficult you make it, the more likely are you're going to forget how to forget get into it. your device. <laughs> yeah. You know? you know, Apple has notified me that I have a whole bunch of duplicates on, on uh, websites and stuff. But it's a mm. list that's so long, I, it goes three through four or five, I don't know how many pages of, of, mm-hmm. of uh, websites there are, but it's a whole bunch. And yeah. I'm never going to change those. For a bunch of websites, I don't care. Th- but if that's it's, right. If it's a website where I've purchased something and they have card information, then I definitely want to make sure that one is, is unique. Exactly. Exactly. I, you know? I, long time ago, made the determination that there's certain websites that I don't think I even want to pass code for, but yeah. they force you to have one. Exactly. Yeah. Those are the ones where there's a lot of them that force you to, to create a password. And it's like, I don't want a password for this. I don't care about this. I'm going to get into this once in my lifetime, maybe twice. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And yep. for those, I use a, just a default stupid password. And yeah, I get notified the same thing. It's I'm glad they do that. I'm glad they notify you and say, hey, this password has been, you know, open yeah. to some leaks and stuff. I will say that I have gotten better at um, at using um, occasionally when I go to a place, if it pops up and warns me, I will use the Apple generate a password for this website, you know, the yeah. multi-digit I have random had, one. I, I, I have had really bad luck with those. I've, I've stopped mm. doing it altogether. The reason is, is that they don't meet the requirements of a lot of people's passcode things. They yeah. use illegal characters and stuff. Yeah. You know, they don't know what those rules are. Yeah, they're supposed to, if the website is properly constructed, it's supposed to the uh, pick that up so that it knows what the requirements are and then creates a password for that, but sometimes it it barfs and doesn't do that very well. The yeah. other thing the other thing that I've had is like when I go in to change the password, I'll change the password and save it and then Safari never comes back and says do you want to save this as your default? Usually it does, but it, sometimes it doesn't. And if it mm-hmm. doesn't, then I'm screwed because I have no idea what the password was because it's a, a string of random numbers that, that, right. that I just changed it to. And the thing is you don't know that until after you've done it. That's right. And yep. I have – in a couple cases, it says do you want to use this this password. You can go over and click on it and copy it. And so that way then if it doesn't ask you, you can go and paste it into, you know, you can go into preferences in Safari to the passwords and update it yourself. But sometimes they've that, that password field is blocked from being copied because they don't want you to copy and paste passwords because that's a security thing. Yep. And so, uh, you know, and I've had that happen several times. I had that happen with a, a work thing one time where it popped up and one of my work pass or, or uh, websites said, Hey, this password's not secure. So I said, okay, we'll create a, you know, a, a random difficult to, to remember password, um, or difficult to hack password. And then it saved it. And it's like, well, screwed now. I, I now I'm locked out of my work, uh, website. So now I, then I had to get a hold of the it person and have them reset it, you know, and I, then yeah. I had to create a password that I knew because they're dumb password, uh, um, uh, yep. Protocol. Never, protocol never never prompted me to save it as the new password, which is just 
really irritating. Theoretically, yeah. this is all going to be fixed when Apple and Google and Microsoft get people switched over to using passcodes. Said they're going to do that this year, but I don't believe. Yeah. Well, it's going to be it's going to be built into iOS uh, 16 and the, and uh, Mac OS Ventura, which is the new ones that'll come out in the fall. So the operating systems will be able to handle it. So once we start seeing the operating systems be able to handle it, I think what we'll see is websites starting to take advantage of it. But I suspect it's going to be like websites are right now, which is when you go to to create an account, you're going to have an option. It's going to say, do you want to use you know, Apple login? Do you want to use Facebook login? Do you want to use Google login? Do you want to use a passcode instead of a password, you know? Or do you just want yeah. to use your email and a password? You know, so they're going to, most websites are just going to add that as another option. And a lot of people aren't going to know, you know, why to do that. Right. Hopefully over time, they'll start making that the default option and start phasing out some of this other stuff. Because, yeah. you know, that's clearly the right way to go. But I am concerned, though, because... Passcodes are even more obfuscated from the user. So are we going to have weird situations when the passcodes don't quite work right? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, and, and the other thing is, is that they, they work even less reliably, the, their passcode or their password manager right now, when you're dealing with apps on your, on your iPhone. Sometimes it fills them in really well. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes they ask you to update your password. Sometimes they don't. It's like it works reasonably well on websites. It works less reasonably well on, on you know, the app version of the website. And a lot of, a lot of companies mm -hmm. have apps. You know, they'd rather you use their app than use their website. Um, I don't know. I've just seen enough stuff there go flaky wrong that it's like, you know, I kind of bum fumble my way through it because I kind of understand how it's constructed and what the technology is behind it and how it works. Uh, most of my family members, if they got to it, would just say, I'll oh, screw it. I'll, you know, I'll just <laughs> go do it a different way, you know? Yep. So anyway, uh, I thought you'd enjoy this thing on the lens. That's, uh... Yeah, it's just absolutely stunning. I mean, I would call this yeah. like a leap forward on several fronts. It sounds like the battery technology is is generationally different than anything we've heard about before. Um, and the ability to shrinky-dink that stuff down to put it into a contact lens is just almost baffling. So uh, I'm really, really curious as to when this is going to be a... I mean, it sounds like they've kind of solved the problem. Now it's just a matter of, of making the technology, uh, you know, in production and getting licensing is kind of what they're implying here. Yeah. And how this is not a huge headline everywhere is just beyond me. Uh, anyway, there was another thing that I had sent you just after this one that, 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 that link doesn't work for some reason, but it's at the end, it says a related art article, uh, Mojo vision. If you're in still in the one with the lens, at the bottom, the very last, Mojo Vision brings new AR contact lens prototype to market. What does it do? That's that's what this other thing was meant to point to. Uh -huh. And uh, basically, it's a bit more of of uh, how the prototype uh, has been uh, evaluated to to do things, and talks about uh, AR contact lens. You know, uh, as one of the things. Yeah, it's like, oh, cool, you've got smart glasses. Now what do they do? Yeah. You know? Uh, right. Do they and draw the yellow brick road out in front of you as you're, as you're navigating? 
so that you you know you follow the arrows on the lo- on the floor. Yeah. Well, it, it, they're just trying to be top level and this sort of mm-hmm. thing. But to say you know I, that's an obvious thing is people mm-hmm. will be using uh, pretty soon. So yeah. Anyway, I mean those are the uh, two classic things for for smart glasses and and presumably smart lenses, right? Is yeah. uh, is draw a line that I can then follow for my directions. And the other one is float something above people's heads that tells me what their name is, who their spouse is. Do they have any kids? Is there any interesting information about them that I should remember? You know, yeah. Those, those uh, are the, the, the two things that they always talk about with augmented reality. And anyway, and then after they mention the AR, VR stuff at the bottom paragraph where they kind of sum it up, it says, nevertheless, companies like Mojo Vision and research from academics aim to expand more of what the public knows about this technology, heavily focusing on biotechnology for this integration. So they're trying to interact with the body, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, uh, the article above that basically points out that they're really focusing on Apple to bring this technology to everyone because they, Apple's got a, a lot of interest in, interest in biotechnology as well. Uh, so there'll be a company that at least will mm-hmm. look to introducing some of this by 2030. They're estimating here to get the new experience. So I'm I'm guessing that this this outfit uh, is working with Apple on their lens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's funny. They said Disney was one of their um, on their website talks about Disney being one of their investors, yeah. um, but. Uh, yeah, this very specifically, this article says there's a rumor that focuses on Apple bringing this technology for everyone to enjoy. Yeah, up up in the middle of the article, in terms of capabilities, it says heads-up display. So anything that you want to see, if you're going to, but that's related to uh, uh, yeah. AI. Well, or, by default, it doesn't matter what position your head's in, right? It's right in front of your right. eyes. So, right, it's, but, it's but there. Yeah, uh, but by heads-up display, that just means they're going to overlay what you're seeing with information. Yeah, yeah. And, in your line and, of sight. And anyway, just above that, it says scientists just invented contact lens that zoom in when you blink twice. So if you go to that article, you'll find out that they're using your eyeballs to actually control the device itself. Right. Yeah, I read that, that they were talking about, the, the, which means there's just basically going to have to be a new uh, operating system that understands different a different interface, right? I mean, right. it may work in conjunction with something you hold in your hand, but it also may, there, you know, maybe your eyes and, and, or hands that move around in front of it, uh, to provide particular gestures that have meaning, right? So that it could then, you can adjust what it does. Very interesting thoughts here. So anyway, uh, it's, uh, yeah, this seems like the kind of company, if this is, is something true that Apple would, uh, be talking to the uh, original owners and investors saying, hmm, how would you like to be Apple AR? We, we'll just give you <laughs> billions of dollars and, and you become us, assuming that it's, it's you know, that, that the prototypes actually are functional and not just, not well, like the prototypes of that camera system we were looking at a few minutes ago where it's like that, you know, we've drawn pictures. No, we actually know, com- have something working. Companies like this uh, very often get picked up you know, bought out by companies like Apple, you know, if it well, that's where has, I was has long-term, you know, business. Right. Uh, that's what I was line. implying when I was saying you want to be part of Apple AR or AI was yeah. that they would just buy them. 
You know, they've got billions right. of dollars sitting around and they can go buy companies if they want to. Um, yeah. Of course, that's assuming the company wants to be sold, right? I mean, if the company right. just flat out says, nope, you know, we're not going to sell, <laughs> we'll be happy to work with you and license, inf- you know, technology to you and from you. But, um, you know, we'll be friendly, but we're not we're not willing to be eaten up by you. Anyway, um, I think that little I think that little icon at the top of this uh, this article uh, is kind of interesting. It looks like a, a, a dome. You know, it's an eyeball eye lens with the middle uh, left open, so you can see the vision. But around it are a whole bunch of computers and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's it's it's like a, a circuit board that wraps around the the eye. The, Right. With, with with one little line sticking out in the in the line of sight area that'll presumably be the the screen that you then will be able to see. That's probably meant to tell you that that's the area where the uh, chips and stuff go, right? <laughs> well, obviously, yeah. That's where the computer and the batteries and everything they have to wrap around the outside of the line of vision, right? Um, right. So, yeah. But again, uh, they just still all kinds of questions about like how do these batteries give you all day use when they're that small um you know and do you want you know what what technologies in these batteries do you want that on your eyeball you know uh lithium <laughs> yeah. lithium ion batteries go boom every once in a while i'm yeah, not ba- sure i want something that's that ba- batteries are sort of related to bombs you know yeah yeah <laughs> they're, they're you know it's a lot of energy and if it's released suddenly that could be really painful um not to mention blinding uh so I, yeah that's I'm sure we'll get there, but boy, um, just, I've got all kinds of questions about this. But it's really, really intriguing. Really yep. intriguing. So um, let's see. What else do we have? Benchmark tests show that the MacBook Air and the MacBook M2 version of the 13-inch MacBook Pro have similar uh, performance, which shouldn't be a surprise in that they've got the same chips. The only real difference is, uh, at least in how they're there. Well, there's two differences. One is the MacBook Air uh, use, uses a binned version of the chip, meaning that it has uh, two less proce- uh, GPUs. Um, and so graphics processing might be a little slower. And the MacBook Air is fanless. So for an extended period of time, the MacBook, uh, the, the Pro MacBook might be able to uh, maintain high-end or higher level of processing speed for a longer period of time because it's got a cooling system. You know, you really can't talk generically about performance capability because it depends. We we got a chip now that's got at least three different areas. You know, there's mm-hmm. the uh, neural engine, which is forty percent faster in the right. in the uh, in the M2. And the GPU is 35% and 18% faster CPU. Right. So that's that's how at least the sort of the minimum breakdown you have to do when you talk about comparing chips. Yeah. But what are you going to do with the chip? Uh, well, because they have these Geekbench things that run it through some tests and, and time things to say, you know, how well does it do versus this for the other. And so they give it, you know, an apples to apples comparison between them. And that's where they, that's where they get these numbers, the 40% and 30%. But, but, but then if to be, have meaning for you, you have to know uh, a lot more about the uh, benchmark programming, the things that give you those benchmarks, because people have in the past uh, picked, been very selective 
and used it for marketing purposes, you know. Oh, yeah, you that could, you're saying the designers of the computers have said, we've designed our computer to score really well. It may not be really that fast, but it, but it gives right. us great scores. Yeah, yeah, we can really buzz through those benchmarks, you know. Yeah, yeah, and the benchmark-making companies that do that, the Geekbench people are constantly trying to, you know, defeat that. I mean, it's it's a back and forth. Yeah. Um, you know, it's sort of like what happened to Volkswagen, right? They uh, they got caught oh. cheating their uh, emissions because they're that's right. They're, they basically tweaked the computer in the car to say when you're doing an emissions test, do this so that you <laughs> it looks like you're much you don't pollute very much, and then when you're not doing the emissions test, just pollute all you want. <laughs> you know, it was like yeah. whoops, that cost them millions of dollars and oh, lots of did. people their jobs, and you know, oh oh and, yeah, and, and justifiably so, you know. Absolutely. Uh, you know, justifiably so. The other thing that they don't tell you is which version of the N2 chip, because as I said, the um, they use a binned version of the M2 chip in the MacBook Air that has two less GPUs uh, um, in it. Uh huh. And so, you know, that GPU it says it's thirty five percent more powerful GPU. I'm I'm certain that's with the full chip with all ten GPUs in it. But they they're at the at least the the entry level. MacBook Air has a binned version of the chip that only has eight functioning GPUs. So, I, I'm not hearing well enough. You say BIN? Oh, binned. Yeah, they they it's a it's a process. Binning is a process where when you that's filtering. Well, it's it's when they produce the chips. There are a certain number of them that that fail one right. processor yes. or something, and instead of throwing them out, they just sell it as a version of the chip that has one less processor in it. Yeah, and, so I, I just wanted to make it clear to our audience that right. what we're talking about. Correct, yeah. So, um, they, yeah, they do that. The other thing that I don't know if you saw in the news recently, but there were several articles talking about the fact that the MacBook Air, um, the 256, I guess it was, oh, the MacBook Pro too, both of them, that the entry-level one with 256 gigabytes of storage space has slower read-write speeds than the M1 versions did, about half. And they said, well, that's odd that it's half the speed. Why is that? Well, it turns out that the M1 chips, when they put 256 gigabytes of storage in, the, in, the, in an M1 chip computer, it was 228 gigabyte chips together. So there was, uh, and in the newer M2s, it's a single 256 gigabyte chip. And you can write to 228 gigabyte chips simultaneously, but you can write only uh, you can only write with one channel to a single chip. And so essentially, they cut their their read write speeds in half because they went to one chip instead of two. And mm-hmm. and a bunch of people and uh, and unfortunately, a whole bunch of articles were being posted as if you know all the M, uh, the the M2 chips are slower. And it's like no, it's just that one chip that only the 256 gigabyte size you know if you get one with 512 gigabyte or a terabyte of storage space it's just as fast as it was before and in fact it's actually faster because it's a faster bus but um the you know by you know it just when they when they decide whether it's going to be a a single chip or a pair of chips to give you that amount of storage it's it's a cost benefit analysis yeah and, and for the low end one they said it's cheaper for us to put a single 256 gigabyte chip in than it is to put 228 gigabyte chips you know and the fact of the matter is is if somebody's buying a 256 gigabyte computer which is minimal in in today's world as far as the amount of storage that it has um 
you know, if you're doing like spreadsheets and, and browsing the web and stuff, you're never going to notice the difference anyway. It's, you're only going to notice read-write speeds. They're so fast. The only reason you would ever notice is if you're doing something that, you know, was very intensive disk read-writes yeah. like large database management type stuff. Oh. Um, and you're not yeah, doing all, that on a MacBook Air, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Performance is always uh, affected by architecture. Yeah. That's that's the lesson to be learned here for people who don't understand that. Uh, then it's pretty easy to explain that the more things you do in parallel, the faster they go. <laughs> right, right. And versus uh, serial processing. So, anyway... Yeah, well, or just having one channel versus two channels to read and write to your memory, right? And yeah, and so by by buying a single chip, they 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 omitted the second channel to write, and so, like you said, it's no longer write. You can't write in parallel because there's just one chip to write to. Whereas if you had two chips, then you could write to them both at the same time, and it would be twice as fast. But the bottom right. line is, is the reading and writing between these things is so fast that, that unless you're really doing some very specific things, you're not going to know the difference anyway. So I thought it was a big don't care, but it was like all over in the news. So, yeah. you know, what's yeah. funny is, you know, I mean, as, as much as, as I, um, you know, I prefer the Apple products to Windows products for my laptops, um, uh, you never hear of, you know, the, the news tech news people saying hey that new dell pc is you know writes half as fast as the old one because nobody they don't seem to apply the same level of scrutiny to, to like dell and hp and asus and lenovo you know well, um you know i mean they do if there's like some obvious flaws with the designs of the of the you know keyboards and things like that and apple's certainly gone down that road and deservedly got lambasted for the crappy keyboards that they made for a few years yeah but uh um you know, I just don't, I, and maybe it's just because I don't see it, but I, I, I literally don't see, I don't recall ever seeing those kinds of criticisms of other brands. Like well, they're just not scrutinized. It, it's, it's the nature of reporting. Uh, with no matter what uh, industry you're in, there are certain technology leaders that are tracked because they're ahead of everybody else. And so there's more interest uh, mm-hmm. from a technology. It, it's the newness factor. Uh, if you will, uh, but Dell and find... HP outsell Apple. I'm sorry, <laughs> but Dell and HP outsell Apple laptops. Oh, that's because they're just a commodity product. They're low interest. Just, yeah, you know, and 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 that's whole has yeah. in, entirety to not to do with the quality of the product. Yeah. That is entirely based on the uh, 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 software that is tied to their product. Yeah. Well, and, they, and they also don't get as much uh, uh, press coverage when they announce new models. I mean, they'll get an article somewhere, but, you know, they don't get as much, you know, but, but, but pro- good and you bad. Know, th- those kinds of things are just sort of considered mundane, even, even, though they, you know, even though they got the mass market, because they become something that's no longer exciting and, and cutting edge. Right. You know? Yeah, and well, so, they're, they're not they're not industry they're industry sales leaders, but not indus, industry uh, technology leaders, generally speaking. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, they're assembling bin to parts into packages that follow the design leads of someone else. Yeah, and and if we were to talk about uh, uh, Windows and and Intel stuff exclusively, uh, 
everybody would say, who wants to hear about that? That's old school, right? Well, there's a whole bunch of people that live in that world. Well, that's true, but but they're not that uh, interesting to us in a performance. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it, it's well, not a performance or in, in, uh, well, you know, area. But that's not actually true either. They've got some gaming PCs that outperform even the M1s. I don't know about the M2s, but outperform the M1s hands down. There are gaming yeah. PCs that are high end that have i9 processors that are way more performant okay. than. I think what yeah, it is it, is we should just be honest and say they just aren't interesting to us. Well, that's that's, <laughs> that's true. That's part of it. That's part of it, but but that's a very focused thing. You're right. If you picked up a gamer's magazine, then you would, that's where you'll read that. But it's focused just in that arena. Yeah. You know. But people who are interested in that area write those things, right? It's just sure. not interesting to you and I. That's just you know we're not gamers. You know if we were if we were really interested in in an area that required high end PCs, then we'd be talking about high end PCs. But we're just not. Yeah. Yeah. By, by the way, now I have an article in here that shows a picture of a car designed using AI uh, that kind of somebody refers to as the Apple car. <laughs> I saw <laughs> which, that. Which is what we've never seen before. Now, it's a kind of a poor article, and there, but I put it in. I, I hesitated to put it in, but I put it in only because I was on 60 Minutes, I think, last night. Did you see the article about the airplane that they're developing to uh, go uh, supersonic without having the boom. I you know, did the, not. The, um, oh. I, I, I with sixty minutes. I tend to re- I don't watch it live. I record it and then watch it later in the week. Okay. Well, anyway, uh, I thought it was interesting thing because it's a technology related area, and when I saw that this is all very streamlined and everything, mm-hmm. uh, then. It sort of has some of the characteristics, although not even close to the airplane, which is long and slim, and it's kind of like a, mm-hmm. a dart almost, uh, because you, you don't want any rough transitions in the physical uh, uh, mm-hmm. sort of stealthy shape, because shape, it, it's shape of the thing. It's it's round and and mm-hmm. you know it's all smooth, right? Absolutely smooth, you know. Whereas uh, in a in a car. You, you want people it to appeal to people's eyes and and likes and dislikes. Airplanes, th- this is meant to solve a simple problem, and that is for those people who are willing to pay uh, and to go great distances. You, that supersonic never made sense ever. Uh, yeah, but you're flying across distances. the Pacific, you know, from U.S. to the to Taiwan. That's a you know fourteen to sixteen hours. If you well, can cut that down, right? Cut it in half or so. You know, by going twice as fast. Mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, if you recall the uh, the French Concorde, that was I forgot what year, t- about ten years yeah. ago or something. I think they French said and British when it, when it quit flying. Yeah, wh- it quit yeah, flying they, more than a decade. Anyway, they ago. shut it down right. because basically it it uh, its only market had to be over the ocean because the boom uh, was so bad that if you were over any populated areas that there were just massive complaints. It was not going to be allowed over land. So you had to take out over the ocean where you broke the sound barrier and there was maybe a ship or something that might hear it, but mm-hmm. that's about it, you know? Uh, and uh, so it wasn't offensive. Now, they're yeah. actually going to test this new airplane somewhere out over the deserts in the southwest, mm-hmm. and maybe uh, you'll hear about it in a couple of years when they get to the testing phase. Yeah. 
Believe it or not, the Concorde's first flight was March second, nineteen sixty nine. Yeah. First yeah. flight. Then it was its its first commercial flight was in seventy six. So it took them what uh, seven years of development, and it was yeah. retired in October of twenty or uh, twenty uh, two thousand and three. Yeah, but anyway, a little company that's working on this technology for whatever reason named themselves Boom. But what <laughs> they're, they're actually what they're really up, no about. <laughs> It's about to, yeah, it, to make the boom into what they're calling a thud now. They're going to see if the thud is acceptable. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but but they've done a lot of you know uh, simulation on uh, of uh, acoustics uh, from uh, structures on the computer, but you can only go so far there. And ultimately, you got to build something and actually go fly it and say, what do those people think of of this? Can they hear the thud? And if so, is it is it uh, something that can be tolerated? Yep. So, anyway, I thought I thought it was an interesting show just because I didn't know anybody was working on that, mm-hmm. and uh, and it this car I thought would be a reminder to me then to bring this uh, yeah <laughs> this airplane yeah. thing up. Well, the car is very swoopy. It looks like a supercar, you know, like it's something you would see from a uh, one of the Italian designers or something. Um, you know. Well, well, the the problem with the article is when you associate anything with AI, mm-hmm. a lot of people tend to assume when they see that that you're not really influencing the design significantly, but that's totally wrong. Yeah. And I wanted I wanted to, to point that out. When it comes to uh, using artificial intelligence, you 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 still have to give it criteria that will ultimately influence sure. what the the outcome is of this uh, thing, and so. The writers of this article didn't make that clear enough. Uh, so, anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's it's clearly designed to be a sports car, which means that it gives up certain types of practicality. But, uh, yeah, um, yeah, it's interesting. I, I, you know, I think it's... Um... So, anyway, let's see what else we have here. Uh, the other one that I, relating to cars that I put in here is Tim... Uh, Apple's Tim Cook's seen riding a Rivian electric truck at yeah. Sun Valley Conference. Now, yeah, I, I, I saw this uh, one and read this one yesterday. Yeah. N- now, uh, I think that's interesting, but because I think that if Tim were to go out and buy uh, uh, some company, uh, he might be looking at somebody like a Rivian instead of yeah. a Tesla. Well, if you read this, and, and there's several different versions of this article that were floating around on the Internet yesterday, um, what what it was is there was two Rivian trucks there. The CEO of Rivian was there as well, and Tim Cook, as well as nine or ten other CEOs, used them at various times over the course of the the conference to ride from the conference center to get lunch and back. And I think the CEO of Rivian had provided them just as a way of saying, "Hey guys, look what we got. We'll we'll you know we'll give you a ride." And, and they probably just you know, had to either sign up or, or they were invited to be one of the ones that went for a ride. So, uh, well, the reason that I put it there is that I just read an article yesterday that put Rivian at the top in terms of the electric vehicle technology mm-hmm. and technology performance. Uh, you know, it's always tough when you write a, put a list together because everything depends on the criteria, but nevertheless, it was, if you've looked at multiple reviews like that, you can get a feel for sort of, you know, whether a company is worth anything or not, you know? 
And it appeared to me that Rivian is always at the top end of the list, if not the top. And therefore, there would be either they're looking for some infusion of capital from people like Tim Cook or uh, an outright purchase if the price is right, you know? Right. And that's very possible. It's very possible. Because from what I've read, their biggest issues right now are just production issues. And yeah. that just means they need capital. You know? Yes. Yeah. That, um, but and, and fast. And fast. The market will get her out of the out of their control if they don't yeah. move on it. Well, they're already in, in a tight spot because they're competing against the Ford Lightning, which is their electric F-150, which is the you know most popular truck in the country for years. And Ford's yeah. already producing Lightnings. And so it's like, well, what yeah. does Rivian give you that you don't get with the you know electric it, Ford? Exactly. In fact, uh, I've already seen uh, people looking at the electric car uh set up right now all the ones that are available and there's a, a long list of them yeah but but there's articles out there that say uh, who who will be the survivors right that that can can even compete with the tesla and that's a major challenge they're not even sure ford can compete with tesla they're most of them are saying general motors if their concept works yeah well, I've also, I mean, you, you say that too, but I mean, I, there's no guarantee that tes, Tesla will continue to be around 10 years or 20 years from now either. You know, it's, it's, um, you know, it, it you're, depends on who wins the market. You're right. You're right. Well, the, the, Tesla's already got such a good sized chunk. It's hard to catch a guy that's that far ahead. It is. And, and they also, you know, have the advantage or they were, you know, Elon was smart enough to go out and say, uh, we're going to start building infrastructure, and that infrastructure, all those supercharging stations, work with Teslas. They don't work with the Ford Lightning right. or the Rivian or the, you know. So he invested a lot of effort in making them uh, well viable vehicles and and spread them across the country so that you could that's drive. That's called a moat. That's called a moat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That keeps people out of your way. Yeah, that's you know? that's his special sauce. Is like, hey, not only do we make you know the first and best electric cars, uh, you know marketing speak but we've also got the infrastructure so that when you're driving around you can find a place to charge them up now there's actually a pretty good infrastructure you can go online and find maps of charging stations but i've read several articles articles from people who um, in fact one of them was from a guy who he has a tesla and his wife got an electric uh, i want to say volvo but i'm not certain if it was a volvo i don't i'm not sure what what which brand um, but their experiences were quite different because he said you know the the su- the, the supercharged stations from tesla um it will tell you if there's available spots you can you know say i'm going to be there in in 20 minutes and and basically hold the spot for you to get there there's it's integrated into their systems better a lot of these other things you know whether it's you know charge america or something like that it's mm-hmm. you show up and somebody's pulled the cable out of the machine and it hasn't been fixed yet and there's just you know it's like the maps will tell you where it is but there's no guarantee that you can actually get to it um you know and because charging of electric vehicles takes you know, multiples of time faster than filling up gas. It's not like you can just wait in line. But if you don't have much juice left to get to another charger, you don't much have a choice. So in some that, cases, you're going to sit for an hour waiting for the other guy to finish charging while he's having a meal somewhere. He comes back to move his car, and then you get in. Or you show up to charge, and the charging station's been disabled, and nobody told you that online. And now you've got to yeah. go find another one while you're hoping that you don't run out of juice. Yeah. In fact, that's such a big worry that that's really stalling sales to lots of folks already. Yeah. The 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 range on these things. 
Uh, and that's why they say the range problem is the biggest problem to be solved. I'm really astounded that a few of them haven't come up with the idea or the uh, the um, the you know that it's an electric car, but when it gets down to you know like one percent charge, that you can't uh, you know use a built-in um, generator that runs off of gas. To, a hybrid. That's you know, why I mean, hybrids will continue to sell. Right. You know. I mean, it's essentially a plug-in hybrid. You know. Yeah. But most right. of the plug-in hybrids that I've seen only go like 20 or 30 miles electric and then, and then they switch to, to, um, to gas. I would say take, you know, I want to, I want to plug in hybrid that is electric up to the 300 plus miles that a regular electric is, uh, you know, like an all electric two to 300 or 400, you know, or more if you can get it. Um, but then has, has enough juice to, to keep you going. You know, by by the way, that Rivian truck goes over 400 miles. Yeah, that one's got one of the higher. Um, that, that's uh, one of the reasons it's so highly rated, because yeah. it's worked the big, the biggest problem, the best right now. Right. Well, and that makes sense with a truck, you know, and yep. they also have an SUV ba- built on the same frame that they just started shipping. Um, yep. But yeah, you know, it's you do when you're doing a car like, you know, the first Tesla was a sports car. It's tiny. There's not a lot yep. of room for, for, for a lot of distance and batteries. In fact, that, that early Tesla sports car only, I think, was 200 miles rated, which meant that in reality it was yeah. less than that. You know, right. Now, they've got, I think, 350 or something like that on some of their cars now um, as far as their mileage, maybe even closer to 400. I, I honestly don't keep up with the most recent models of Tesla, but uh, you know, they've gotten better. You know, but that's something that also will change with with battery technology as we, you know, and there's all kinds of people working that to get, you know, more dense batteries. But the thing is, more dense batteries mean, you know, more more energy in a compact space, which also means, you know, more more uh, potential damage if that energy is released inappropriately. Right. And if you do pull into a charging station and you really want a full charge, you're going to be there a while. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean that's not instant charge, so yeah. charge rate is also important. But that you know that's another story. Yeah, yeah. Those are the two issues. Is you know if you get enough if you get enough distance, then you can charge when you get there. But you've got to get enough distance in, right? Right. And right. If, and if you can't get enough distance, then you know it's it's then you got to solve the rate problem. One of the two has to be solved quickly uh, uh, in order for somebody to really make a jump. Yep. So, uh, anyway, uh, let's see. What else did I throw in here? Whoops. Lunch is ready. I think it's about time, isn't it? Oh, we're not, didn't quite make it to one today. Uh, yeah. Well, that's all right. We would go, we've been going for an hour and change, right? I mean, it's, yeah, we've been at it a while. I, um, uh, I'll be you know, with you in a minute, honey. I, I've looked at electric, and it's like from from here to to visit my daughter in Northern California is 427 miles. So that Rivian almost gets me there. <laughs> Means I have to stop and have lunch in Stockton. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, 
you got to first of all know your own requirements, and at least you're thinking about them. Yeah. Well, that's it. Yeah. It's like every time I look at an electric car, that's my measure, right? It's like I know I can't come visit you or visit uh, visit Katie, my youngest daughter in North Carolina, on a charge. <laughs> but let's face it, that's we're going all the way across the country. I'm probably going to fly. But yeah. But if I were to look at an electric car down here where I live now. That would be one of my my one of haves is can I get to my family members, you know, and most of them live here in Southern California, so it's no problem. But I do make that one long drive every once in a while. Well, because of the big problem, I wouldn't even consider anything but a hybrid as close as I could get today. Right. And that's kind of where I am with this, too, is like I would have. But like I said, I would uh, the the idea of a plug in hybrid that was electric first, because all the plug in hybrids that I've seen now are really more gas cars that, that even, you know, they'll give you maybe 20 to, to 30 miles electric, which is great for driving around town to and from, but once you're out on the highway, they don't. So I guess that's really, I mean, maybe that's the right balance, right, is uh, batteries to go to and from work and stuff, but if you're going to take your car on a longer drive, then, then just know that you're going to use mostly gas. Okay, well, it's been fun, Todd. (laughs) You're getting hungry, so we're done. So let me say goodbye to everybody. Thanks for listening. Here is our closing music, which I also wrote. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye. Howdy. I'm already headsetted up. Woo-wah! Look at you. Got that time just right. Came in here and plugged in. I was worried about while I had my earphones out that I might miss you, but I didn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Are you eating something? Boy, this microphone is good, huh? It just you, you're you're the way you're talking. You hold you just it, it changes the way you speak. Yeah, uh, I went out and discovered that Mom had some uh, uh, English muffins still in the toaster that uh-huh. she that popped up and she'd forgotten about them. <laughs> and uh, anyway, uh, they had dried out a little bit, but I asked her if I could have them because I was kind of in a hurry to get in here. Yeah, and uh, so she. I quickly butter. She warmed them up in the micro, and I buttered them. And yeah, really, really good. These they had two for the price of one when I was at the store the other day, and I got some of these blueberry ones. Uh huh. Man, that's, they have a nice blueberry flavor. Oh, that's why I'm doing. I'm sitting here tilting my head way back, and it's because I've got my like bifocals on instead of my computer glasses, and so it's like, why do I keep leaning back? Why well, can't see? That's why. <laughs> okay, there, much easier on the neck. I saw you were doing some show research, so I need to open these things up. Yeah, in fact, I was just uh, reading, I think it was the last one that I put up there, uh, about voiceover and stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. which I have used, but it's apparently been enhanced somewhat. Um. And uh, it's it's a, it says canonical, arguably the canonical accessibility feature by developers because they are familiar with it. Anyway, I do a lot of uh, screen reading because my eyes are not as good as they used to be. 
and so I'll ask it to read for me. Uh-huh. And it's all very personal since I have it set up for the audio to come through my ear or my hearing aids. You think it's personal. Anybody sitting in the room with you hears it loudly across the room. Well, I know that. <laughs> I don't hear very well either. <laughs> but my eyes get start getting blurry, especially late at afternoons, you know? Yeah. And uh, I can't even, you know, unless I zoom then, you know, with a, but I, I do the zoom manually. You know, I, they have a Zoom feature so you can just blow the screen up, but then it's more difficult to use than just... Right. They have the to pinch. scan back and forth from the right to the left. You also have the ability to go in and change the size of the fonts that are being displayed on web pages, and so you can zoom that up, and that way it's, it wraps and you don't have to um, go back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway... But that also uh, blows up some pages. Some pages don't handle that very well. So... Um, so it's just... At least you got choices. Mm-hmm. Well, I just opened them all up, and I also opened up the last thing that I sent you from last week, which was I found after the show, which was the MagSafe camera lens concept to turn your iPhone 13 into a professional mirrorless camera, which was exactly what I had kind of talked about. Yeah. You know, but uh, it's a concept. It's not a a real thing, and it doesn't use the concept uh, doesn't use specific, you know, like, um, I guess, was it taking inspiration from Sony's QX10? Are, are you going to so. put the music on and stuff before yeah. the yeah. start? Yeah. Why don't I'll, we do that? And... Okay. All right. So we'll start with the, did, did you, you see the article about the MagSafe camera lens concept? If you scroll back up to the first thing yeah. you sent today. Yeah. Okay. All right. Then I'll get us started. Here, here comes the music. <laughs> 